0: Listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero podcast. Hi, Paul. Hi, Bob. Good to see you.
1: Good to see you.
0: Um, I'm Paul Bloom, professor of psychology at uh, University of Toronto and Yale University, and you are Bob Wright, um, publisher of the Non-Zero newsletter, and this is the Non-Zero podcast. There. Say That's that
1: true. You. And you, in addition to being a famous psychologist and writer, are a uh, publisher of the, did you say this? You're publisher of the falsely modest uh, newsletter, Small Potatoes. Did you remember to say that? I did not remember to say that. You know, Paul, I have a vision I'd like to share with you. I'm, I'm all ears. So, you know, as I get older, in some respects, uh, my hopes about what legacy I might leave uh, this planet um, are shrinking. Becoming more modest, like, uh, I would say the chances that I would bring salvation to all of humankind, I would say, now are under 30%. But there's something I still hope to accomplish, and you know what that is? Help promote small potatoes. It's related to that. I hope to create a world in which, and tell me if this is too idealistic, a world in which everyone who thinks of the newsletter, small potatoes, thinks of the phrase, falsely modest. Much as in the 1980s when you were a wee lad, thanks to the editors of Spy Magazine, many, many New Yorkers could not think of Donald Trump without thinking of the phrase short-fingered vulgarian." Because every time they wrote about Trump, the first reference, Donald Trump was preceded by the phrase short-fingered vulgarian." And I would like to do something similar for your newsletter. I agree. I would appreciate that.
0: I would appreciate that and something we spoke about a little while before but a phrase hiking the Adirondack trail which mm-hmm. for me will never lose this amusing no
1: although we would like to get to the point where you call it the Appalachian trail because uh, because that's again what it, again that's what it is we alternate between you calling it the Adirondack and then in the next episode apologizing but, but this time you for for mischaracterizing for misnaming it, this time you can apologize now go ahead
0: i i, I am sorry
1: and, you know, but this could
0: get corrected. We could just kind of retape this whole part, lose thirty seconds, and I don't look bad.
1: No, no, the spontaneity is priceless. This is what the yeah. people are paying for. People yeah. who are paying, and nobody's actually paying for this part of it. I was um, on another podcast, and I, I kept um,
0: I kept referring to we were talking about the, the mechanics of making money off podcasts, and I was very new to this, and I kept referring to something to Patreon, not as Patreon, but something like, like a Trueness or something. And for oh, the longest time. I think they understood what I was saying, and then they just kind of played along. And then later in the podcast, they gave up and said, uh, "Paul, it's actually pronounced Patreon.
1: Well, I don't play along. You'll be hearing from me on first mischaracterization. What podcast was that?
0: It may have been my friends, uh, "Very Bad Wizards." Uh
1: huh. May have been. We could ask them. So there's also
0: another story of "Very Bad Wizards," which which reflects badly on me, but 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 well on them, where mm-hmm. I had a very nice microphone, which I was very proud of. And I waved and I showed them, it's expensive. And and I I whispered into it and I made them do sound checks. And they said, it doesn't quite seem to work. And I said, this is an excellent microphone. And at the end of the podcast, I'm telling them about it and I'm reaching up to show it to them. And I realized the wires connected nowhere. I have not plugged it into my computer.
1: Yeah. Well, this is why your podcast career hasn't yet taken off. The other reason being that you don't yet have a podcast of your own. But you're getting there.
0: You're getting there. It's so much easier being the
1: interview than being being the guest. Um, well, it depends. Yeah. If you're someone who's not curious about other human beings because you don't care about them at all, sure. If you wrote a book called Against Empathy, for example, and so which means you don't care about human beings, then naturally you, you would not enjoy asking them to share um, you know, their inner lives with you. I'm not denying that. Part of my
0: reluctance to get podcasts is because of my indifference and sometimes hatred of other human beings. Uh-huh. that is was a good, good reason, but also the editing, the scheduling, the
1: the. See, this the, is listen. Don't, know, don't don't rivers, let
0: river, Riverside
1: and whatever. This gets to what a bad influence the people, a very bad wizards can be on a person. They edit. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Don't edit. Don't uh, un- edit. Yeah. Big time saver. Wow. um I'll so, say, in, in, in praise of your non-edited
0: podcast, I mm-hmm. listened to your discussion with uh, Reed Hoffman. I thought it was very good. Yeah. A, a, an interesting clash of views about AI.
1: Yeah, I mean, to some extent, Reed's more optimistic than I am, as well he should be. He uh, co-founded this uh, company, Inflection, which puts out this very interesting AI bot, PI, P-I, which people should check out. Um and he was on the board of OpenAI, pre-drama, yeah. pre-drama. He left the board to start inflection uh, and missed out on the soap opera. Um, but yeah, I encourage people to check that out. He talks about OpenAI and and a lot of stuff. And you're getting interested in AI, which I like. I am. For example, well, before we get into this, well, let's decide whether we're going to get into things. I maintain that there may, even as we speak, be a newsflash about the lab leak hypothesis, okay? You seem less interested. But at some point I want to get to that. I think there may be a news flash that uh, I'm willing to
0: patiently inter-
1: should in- be interested in increase not- uh our uh estimate of the chances that there was a lab leak. Um, and then uh well there's the Casey Newton very big sub stack newsletter leaving Substack because of what he says is the Nazi problem. I want to talk about that. Someone else someone
0: else wrote the article, the big uh, Atlantic article that subsect has a Nazi problem. That started
1: this. Yeah. And you're still going with Nazi, apparently, as the pronunciation, <laughs> which is closer to Nazi than Adirondack is to <laughs> Appalachia and is acceptable. I should say there are people who say that. There are people, and there are people who say Nazi, right? There's Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. Nazi and Nazi. Yeah.
0: You know, you've simply restructured a podcast to make these episodes sort of a Paul Bloom speech therapy discussions where you kind of work with me. And, it's just, and we change the music to make it nice and soft. And we talk about and it and it could speak to
1: a whole different audience. I frankly am still looking for the niche where I can um, thrive and maybe you've hit on it. It's, I tell people it's from
0: whenever I mess up the pronunciations, I tell people it's from my background. Um, you know, being raised in Montreal, part of Canadian accent, a little bit from Quebec, and so on. The problem is, it doesn't work when I when I bump into people from my very neighborhood. Uh-huh. And they say, "Well, we don't talk like that. We talk normal."
1: Yeah. Well,
0: but anyway, anyway,
1: that that what Nazi? Yeah. Nazi. You don't have to keep saying it, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's just endless. Talk about of that. a word where once is enough. Yeah. Um. So I was, ta- I was talking to a friend of
0: mine, by the way, and this is something to get into, is how did Hitler get so bad relative to, say, Stalin, Mao?
1: I think he started out crazier. Is it is it craziness? Yeah, well, he he grew up full of hatred in a way that, I mean, I'm sure Mao had his class resentments. Mm-hmm. You know, Hitler grew up in Vienna, poor resenting uh, more affluent and more, and Vienna was a very cosmopolitan place, right? Yeah. That's one reason it was uh, such a center of intellectual achievement uh, in, in the late 19th century, you know, ideas from all over flowing in, people getting together. Um, and he chose to apparently resent uh, affluent Jewish cosmopolitans in particular. Yeah. And uh, I, I I don't know much about Stalin and Mao uh, but, you know, class resentment, in in a way, is a less, it seems like the upper limit on the toxicity is a little lower than ethnic yeah. and, you know, class plus ethnic. I don't and know. One way to
0: put it is Hitler is the sort of paradigmatic racist and racism is the ultimate sin. So he gets pushed up as the most evil person in the world. And-
1: Wait, he did also do like the most evil thing. <laughs> You know, I mean, the, the most systematic, large-scale, intentional atrocity in the history of the planet. Stalin killed
0: more, but in uh, some way it was less intentional.
1: I, I think there's even, I don't know, I don't know my Stalin, yeah. but I think there's some question as to, like, to what extent was the famine, you know, to the the famine part of it, was that side effect of... Collectivization? I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, I, I've already said something incorrect, I'm sure. But I don't know. But, you I mean, know.
0: I mean, one way to take it is that it, it, it doesn't have to do so much with the properties of these men, but the properties of, of the politics around the time, where Hitler was a fascist, and nobody, no right-thinking person supported Hitler's fascism pretty soon in America. But Stalin was a communist, and there was a long intellectual history where a lot of left people were defending Stalin. And True. It, just, it turned fairly late when they say, well, maybe he's gone a little bit too far.
1: True. I mean, there were people in America accused of being more sympathetic uh, than we might have liked. I mean, Lind- Lindbergh yeah. being a classic case of, yeah. you know, he, anyway, I, I don't know that part either. Um, I do know there's a, a place not far from, not all that far from where I live called Lindbergh Road. It's called that. Uh, because he lived, it's the house where his, his, uh, I think, uh, where his, uh, you know, kid was kidnapped. The whole, that story. Yeah. Anyway, there is an intersection of Lindbergh Road and Zion Road. For the record, as he, as as the laying out of roads in New Jersey would have it, that is the case. Huh. Just thought I'd say that. It struck me as kind of ironic when I saw it. Um. So, uh but we digress. Apparently, you would like us to talk about the Substack thing first. You've been kind of steering uh-huh. us in the nazi, in the nazi, as you uh, say, direction. No, you don't have
0: to do it. You, you, don't, don't patronize me. He's the same. Okay. Um, uh, I'll,
1: go, I'll go wherever you want. Lab leak. We'll get back Gladly. to Substack. Do uh, that mind. I mean, we're you and I are on Substack. Yeah. Right? We're, staying on Substack. we're staying on Substack. We're staying on Substack. We should say that. I mean, I, I have read different
0: discussions of the whole substack thing and um and for the most part anti-censorship. And and I think that you're yeah, gonna have some ugly characters up there. And I'm not an absolutist in some way, you know. I, yeah. I, I I think there's I can imagine cases where if it turns out to be nothing but a hotbed of anti-Semites and QAnon or whatever, I say, I don't want to be there anymore. But I actually think that that the cost of any any good, vibrant, free community is that there's some people there who are utter assholes who say terrible things.
1: You can say shit on this podcast. They say terrible I was, I, shit. Yeah. And I, like, I was
0: thinking about that. But, and, and, and I just remembered that in your last podcast with uh, Reed Hoffman, all those things that that's really fucked up. Did I say that? I no, he did. Sounds like somebody uh-uh. moved it up. I'm I said, so oh, disappointed. Okay, you can do this him. podcast that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If he can say it, right? Because yeah. he's more respectable than we are.
0: But anyway, there, there there are fucked up people on Substack. And I don't necessarily do that as a problem with Substack. I don't think that they necessarily have to. The problem is once you start rooting them out, you have to make some judgment calls. And then when you make those judgment calls, you end up kicking out people who say, for instance, that maybe, the, maybe the, there was a lab leak.
1: Oh, that was an excellent segue. Yeah, hey. I want to get back to Substack because I'm probably less of a free speech absolutist than you are. Yeah. And In fact, one reason I'm not leaving Substack is it seems like it'd be a pain in the ass to leave a to leave a platform. Um, as part of my calculus, but um, but uh, just quickly on the lab leak thing. So Matt Ridley, whom uh, who's a friend of mine, I should say, uh, you know, kind of conservative, now member of the House of Lords.
0: Uh, I just know that from the Beatles song.
1: They mentioned Ridley.
0: No, no. There's some line about the House of Lords.
1: Oh, you know that. That's why you know there is a House yeah. of Lords. Yeah. <laughs> Not a tribute to the Canadian educational system, but whatever. No. We no. we all learn things in different ways. Right. Um, so there is a House of Lords. Matt Ridley is uh, part of it, but he's also he did graduate work in biology, journalist, and so on, and he wrote a book about uh, lab leak. I forget the name, but. He tweeted this morning, game over. The latest revelations provide precise confirmation that all the many suspicious features of SARS CoV 2, which imply it was man made, were set out in exhaustive detail in the diffuse proposal to which Wuhan Institute of Virology was a partner. Now, this is the um propo- proposal, I'm not sure what diffuse stands for, I can find out, but I think. The EcoHealth Alliance was one of the, um, was the, I think, technically British-based, although I think run by an American. I'm not sure. Anyway, or or maybe it's the other way around. But anyway, the EcoHealth Alliance uh, uh, was um, partner to this grant. And of course, the basic idea is um, that it, you know, We now know, we didn't know this at the time, but there had been a proposal from some American researchers and the Wuhan lab together uh, to do research on a virus that would have led to something very much like what COVID became, a yeah. gain-of-function research. It was a proposal to like the DARPA, I guess, at the Pentagon or something. It was turned down. Now the research was going to be done in America, but it was in collaboration with Wuhan Eco Health Alliance. Was uh, involved. I'm going to nail that down completely as we speak to make sure I don't get sued. Um, but uh, you know, and, and and the I forget the particular snippet they were talking about inserting, but it turned out to be uh, kind of what the virus wound up with. Anyway, Matt is now saying that we have more details about their plans. And he knows this better than I do. He, he, he knows the biology much better uh, that just nail it down. And yeah. what's interesting to me is, like, I wonder whether even if that's true, we will read about it in the New York Times, which you would think we should if it's true, right? But will we?
0: I think there's been a structural shift. And so the answer might be yes in the case. And it it wouldn't have been no a few months ago, where Hmm. lab leak is gradually rising, even in sort of normies ideas, people who aren't obsessed with this. That's just, it's no longer crackpot. It's a possible idea. And I don't have a dog in a fight. I, I honestly have no strong opinion either way, except to know that smart people I respect are arguing both positions. And it no longer seems tenable, as it once was, to view the lab leak as kind of a racist, insane Hypothesis It's very much on the table.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, do you think?
0: Do you think reading this is there a distinction between the idea that it it got out of the lab inadvertently, which is awful, but but mandates a certain sort of response, like hey, everybody be more careful from here on in, right? Or that there was some idea of of intention.
1: Well, there's a distinction, and I don't think there's any chance that it was intentional. I mean, okay. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't release these things in your own country um, on purpose if you're a government, right? I mean, th- that, the idea that it was some kind of intentional bioweapons thing is nuts. And, so we can still put
0: that in the crackpot theory.
1: Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, but it's still, but this thing worries me. It's like I'm not, on the one hand, I'm, well, I'm ambivalent. Because I do think the world's attention needs to be drawn to the urgent necessity of building a system of international regulation that makes it not only harder for this to happen, the inadvertent release from a major lab uh, and possibly discourages gain-of-function research generally, but also uh, to make it harder for bad actors in some not-so-famous lab to develop something and release it intentionally. I mean, we are just so far behind the curve on on the the level of threat. Nobody's yeah. nobody's talking about it, and and, and you know what you're going to hear as a result of this, and this is why I'm you know at best ambivalent about this uh, turning out to be true if it's true, is that um, you're going to hear you know your Trump is saying, right, China is evil, further disengagement, deeper cold war. And that's actually the opposite of what you need if you actually want to address the problem I've just described. You know, you Mm -hmm. need to be on sufficiently good terms with all nations uh, to set up an actual global policing system, which I think China would, in principle, be okay with uh, if we were on better terms with them. Uh, And that has
0: to be framed as malevolent or one country imposing upon another country. There's a nice way of putting it, saying, boy... It looks like it slipped out of one of your labs. This is nobody's interest. So let's all work together as a community of nations to make sure this doesn't happen again.
1: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, China has dug in on its position. I mean, not shockingly, perhaps, it uh, wasn't eager to become known as (laughs) the country that started the pandemic through, uh, you know, sloppiness or whatever. And so, you know, they seem ill-inclined to admit that this is the case if it is.
0: Doesn't, and everybody, that, course, but doesn't everybody
1: believe it came from China? Uh, well, everybody believes it came from China, but not everybody believes it was it was a lab leak. Yeah, I mean, if it just bo- came from China because they happen to have the kind of bats, right? Yeah, that's one thing. But if they fucked up, that's another yeah. thing. Yeah, it's more responsibility. And and of course, the fact that they're not leveling with us—if that's the case—if that turns out to be the case. Is, you know, only deepens, you know, the 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 the, intensifies the arguments of kind of the right wing nationalists who are like, see, they're hiding something, they want to kill us all. And so we should disengage and further increase the chances that they will kill us all, whatever. So do you
0: you see if this is not this isn't an attempt to bring together conversations, but the idea that we could have a protocol in place that goes into laboratories capable of creating these deadly um, viruses. It's at least analogical to the idea that we could have a sort of planet-wide protocol that says this about generative AI.
1: Well, it's the same kind of challenge. It's interesting. There's uh, a good book on AI uh, on the, called The Coming Wave, I think, by Mustafa Suleiman, who is one of Reed Hoffman's, who yeah. is Reed Hoffman's co-founder of Inflection. He was also a co-founder of DeepMind, which is now Google's. AI operation, basically, Um, and and his book emphasizes the biotechnology threat, both because AI could accelerate the threat, but also because I think he's right that it's a not bad analogy for the challenge of regulation. AI is more like, it's more like regulating biotech, which is a very, very hard, than it is like regulating nuclear weapons, because they are They're so big and conspicuous and capital intensive and and so few, you know, it's harder to acquire the knowledge you need to make them and the materials. Um, so, yeah, I, I think these are two reasons we can't afford like a big Cold War and we need to get, for that matter, the hot war kinds of conflicts under control and start solving actual problems. Yes. I actually wrote this piece in the Washington Post. Uh, months and months ago that AI should uh, have an effect on our basic thinking about foreign policy. And as you may have noticed, the world has come around in my way of thinking and, and American foreign policy has been transformed. We're not supporting the big, conflicts anywhere.
0: The big, <laughs> a, yeah, I don't think you've persuaded, uh, you've done a good persuasion job at foreign policy. But other aspects.
1: yeah. It's kinda of like yeah, it's related to the to the salvation of all humankind uh, thing. But but your newsletter, that's a realistic target that I can do. The falsely yeah. You know, if you could somehow promote the newsletter just
0: because of the effects of the newsletter, you could be doing a huge All publicity
1: of good is good publicity,
0: right? I once um, I invite once invited Peter Singer to give a talk on a class I was giving at Yale. Peter Singer was a good friend of yours. Um and uh, on morality. And he says, as a guest speaker, you're talking about different issues. He said, reasonably enough, I'm an extremely busy guy, a nice guy, a very busy guy. So you have to pay me a fair sum of money hmm. and I'll give the money to my to charities, which make a whole lot of That's good. That's nice. And, and I said to him, you're thinking about it in a small way. I said, nicely. But you see, if you come to talk and you persuade the 300 Yale students in my class uh-huh. on the wisdom, uh-huh. Of giving money to the poor and everything. That effect you will get will be far greater than any money I would give you. And he was not convinced. He was not convinced. I think uh hmm. I think maybe he maybe he maybe he legitimately enough saw to, thought that there's more of an uncertainty how his words are gonna catalyze specific actions.
1: Well maybe this was the beginning of the earn to give concept that that uh yes. Sam Bankman Fried eventually adopted to uh Uneven effect, I would say, and and he was uneven in. Uh, He's had an uneven effect. He's had an uneven I, career. I mean, one thing you
0: and I, I think, disagree about, we kind of often talk around, is I'm much more sympathetic to the rationalists in general, and effective altruists more specifically. And in a defense, and they've been very defensive since Ben Sam Bankman-Fried, who was by no means good publicity for their movement, that the the EAs have done a lot of good.
1: These are effective altruists. Effective
0: altruists. Those nerds who kind of add up and figure out where could our money go to the best place regarding uh, malaria relief, regarding um, experiments where people get incomes and see how they improve their life. And discouraging gain-of-function research with Mm -hmm. um, COVID viruses. They have an excellent record.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And if you take it at the whole, Sam Bankman-Fried is definitely a black mark. He is, he is a guy who has used mm-hmm. that philosophy for for bad, but for the most part, they're doing pretty well.
1: Yeah, I actually have recorded a podcast that hasn't run yet. We'll run in the next couple of weeks with Rob Wiblin. Do you know the Eighty Thousand Hours podcast? It's it's the kind of it's related to the Center for Effective Altruism, which is yeah. the the big thing. Uh, and he kindly agreed to come on and talk about the whole public relations challenges emanating from. Yeah. Sam Bankman freed uh, public relations challenges for EA, um. But but you're right. I think. I mean, the podcast. Go look at the eighty thousand hours podcast. I think they're doing God's work, yeah. Um, in terms of the issues they're illuminating, um, and uh, it was a good conversation.
0: I mean, in general, I think the rationalists are the good guys. I think they're the good guys in in two ways. One is that they regularly produce things that are good by anybody's account. Um, I have a friend and a student uh, Vlad Chidduck, and this is public that he's talking about, but he and moved by work by Peter Singer and Will McCaskill and so on, he donated a kidney to a stranger. Wow. And that's just a nice thing to
1: do. Yeah, and I can't quite get there, you know? Yeah. I uh, what's what's stopping you? Um the thought of having only one kidney. I mean, I I uh I mean, first of all. Are they really sure that one kidney is as good as two? (laughs) It's like they used to say, sure, go ahead, remove your spleen. And I think now there are doubts about whether the spleen really has no function. What are the chances that an organ would have no function? Um, So so Scott Alexander
0: in Astral Codex has a long discussion of these issues. Mm -hmm. And and basically in, in his style, he says, fine, you have 400 pages on this point. I guess I'll agree with you. But nonetheless, he does say that one kidney is as good as two. But still, there is
1: the risk of suppose something happens to it, right?
0: Yes, and it's also a risk of what if a family member needs one? Right. Well, but that... And they they have mechanisms for that, which is that once you give a kidney, Mm -hmm. any family member of yours gets on top of the line for a new kidney.
1: But if you're a strict utilitarian, family members don't get preference over non-family members, although very few utilitarians actually act like that. Now, um, you mentioned you... you, uh, you just said something that almost implied that rationalists and effective altruists are the same. And one one thing that uh, we talked about in my, in my conversation with Rob is that like, there are a lot of misconceptions about EAs. Mm-hmm. And one of them, I mean, I said this and I think he agreed is that it's the same as rationalists. Like there's overlap, there's overlap, but the rationalists have some quirks yeah. That I'm not sure you would say are part of EAs, and then similarly, some things are attributed to them that might not that aren't true of all rationalists, or all yes. people who call themselves rationalists. It's a it's a funny thing. I mean, one of them being a polyamory, right? I mean, I mean, a, and yeah. I've heard it since the the other big thing that's happened with the EA is uh, involvement in the open AI drama, because a couple of people on the board were. Said to be EA affiliated and very concerned about AI risk, and that's why they wanted. One reason, maybe they wanted Altman off the board. Um, and uh so wait, where was I going with this? The uh this is a test. Well, I would have a defective
0: altruist and rationalist And your point, oh, you right, point oh, out Wait, oh, wait, I know, I, know.
1: I, 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 I can say myself. I appreciate the offer. I can save myself here. I was going to say, um, in some of the coverage of that, it was asserted, I think, maybe even, it was asserted like effective altruists are into polyamory. And that was like, you know, stereotyped by association. It was like, well, no, we say that about rationalists, and some of them are, but anyway.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I I actually see myself, I'm not, I don't know if I'm a member of either group, I've never filled out a form or something. But but I think if, I'm very much in favor of effective altruism. Mm-hmm. Effective altruism seems in the simplest form, like evidence-based medicine, where it's weird that there would be a view against it. I mean, I'll it's just the idea you should direct your, your your kindness and your goodness where it will make the most difference.
1: Well, that was the beginning version. Two things happened. Uh, one was the the idea of earn to give. yeah. Which led to Sam Bankman Fried. But then the other was long termism. Mm-hmm. Initially, Peter's very, and Peter's kind of long term skeptical. I mean, he's not a big long termist, I think.
0: Which, which, oh, Peter Singer, yes. yes, yeah. was skeptical.
1: But long termism is the idea that, um, you know, you in the util, grand utilitarian calculus, you should consider all generations to come. Yeah. Which means that any existential threat, truly existential threat that could end the human experience. Uh, even if there's a very, very, very low probability of it happening, it still carries great weight. And you can, you should spend great resources to further reduce the chances of it happening yep. once you do the math. There are a lot of problems with this, but originally this wasn't really at all a prominent part of EA and it came more to be. And that's why they got so big into the AI risk thing Yeah, as a yeah. result of the long-term dimension. No, that's fair enough. I see
0: myself as a long termist, but in a light sense. So I think we should worry about things and about things that will affect us long after you and I are dead, or even after our children are dead. Mm-hmm. Things like, you know, asteroid impacts, things like pandemics, nuclear war, and AI. Um, so I, I and I think that it's a legitimate movement to say let's stop focusing so much on the immediate and look towards the future. Mm-hmm. And this is and in some way this is an unpopular and intuitive movement. So I might say I have a lot of people who say the biggest crisis that we should focus on is the DEI movement and who's and is the Harvard president a plagiarist and let's clean that all mm-hmm. up and everything. And I think the long termists might very correctly tell you you're dealing with minutiae of the day. You should really be putting far more of your energies making sure AI is not going to kill us, making sure that next time COVID comes, we're ready for it, making Mm -hmm. sure that we're dealing with fertility crises and so on. And to me, that doesn't require any fancy math. That I think is just a good argument. Your part, though, does get into an area where it gets very weird. When people talk about, well, if all goes right, we could have a future which has a trillion, 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 add up a trillion more, a trillion Mm -hmm. more, an enormous number of sentient beings. Such that the number of people we have now is, is is a tiny, tiny little moat in comparison. And then they would argue, if there is any chance that something could happen that would make it impossible to get to this paradise of so many happy, flourishing right. beings, right. it is of extreme importance. Right. And so then you get into some I would use paradoxes. Paradoxes in the sense that there are, there are conclusions that come from the arguments, but I don't want to accept them and I don't think we should accept them. Where if there's even a billion to one chance that what you're doing in this company, uh, say, runs the risk of destroying that future, you have every right to kill everybody in
1: the state. Kill yeah, I mean, that's not right. my, by the way, I'm not, I'm not that kind of long-termist. Yeah, no, and, I, I know you're not endorsing it. And as it happens, I mean, a lot of the risks that long-termists are said to focus on are actually things to focus on even if you're a short-termist. Uh, biotech right. is a perfect example. Pandemics, that's sometimes called like long-termists because, look, first of all, the truth is there's almost no such thing as an existential threat in the literal sense. Yeah. A few people would probably survive an all-out nuclear war. Yeah. A pandemic is very unlikely to kill every single person. And so on. Um, so, and that's why, I think that's one reason AI assumes so large. If you buy yeah. the Yudkowski scenario, yes, it's going to kill us all. You know, that's, this is one of the, and so that becomes a basis for doing that kind of math and thinking about the infinite souls that would be born and and yeah. and, and saying we should, you know, bomb chip factories to make sure AI is stopped in its tracks or something. Right. And the long
0: term must make a huge distinction in killing 99% of us versus killing all of us. Because if you kill all of us, the game's over. There's no future. Right. There may be a future of other species. And some of them were thinking about that, other alien species, but we're done. But if some of us can survive, um, then we could flourish, maybe occupy other planets. And and Will McCaskill says look, occupying other planets is going to be such a huge thing. Because if you get colonies on different planets, all of a sudden human extinction becomes a lot less likely. We've diversified. Right. And I think Elon Musk believes that. And I, that doesn't seem crazy.
1: Well, it, 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 yeah, I guess, uh yeah, I mean, the, the, but all the, I mean, all the, all the crazy stuff I think does emanate from thinking about a threat where you're positing that it actually could wipe out everybody. Right. I mean, red is sufficiently
0: unrealistic. It's crazy.
1: Well, no, but I'm yeah, no, but I mean also the the implications that strike us as the extreme implications about what we might do in the present. Like the left term critique of long termism is that, um, you know, well, it's for one thing you quit thinking about the actual suffering of of poor people and so on in the world right now, and you focus on the future. Um, but uh, but just more broadly, the paradoxes you talk, uh, what you call paradoxes, like the things that you might do today to reduce the chances of, of some distant risk a little, those emanate from thinking about a truly existential threat, right? Yes.
0: That involved bizarre math. I think it was Nicholas Bostrom who invented mm. Pascal's mugging, and you know you're walking down the street, and somebody comes up to you and says, "Give me 20 bucks." You say, "No." He says, "Give me 20 bucks, or I will have this machine. He takes a stick out of his bag, and I will wipe out the, human, or the future of humanity."
1: If, and if, you, he, if you don't give him the 20 if bucks, if you don't give him
0: that, he's going to destroy all of the humanity, all humanity. And you think, well, the odds of him doing it are like as the one in a trillion, 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 trillion. But if it's possible, that maybe he is a god or an alien or something like that, you might as well give him the 20 bucks because it's worth it for the gain that would be had mm-hmm. by stopping humanity from being killed. And well, plus, I think, and I think one way to take that is, well, that's really dumb. If you've gotten to a point where, where that becomes a rational decision, you something got to give.
1: Yeah. Would, would So would that be tax deductible? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be, right? So I, would, I would do it. Because actually then it's like $13. Sure. That's a bargain.
0: You would do it for the tax break.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, true. Um, so, uh, let's see. How does this relate to things you mentioned? Um, plagiarism, or did you? Well, make, I, yeah, you mentioned yeah. Harvard. There's yeah, there's I'm something. Sure. There's something. There's an idea that you think is is radical or at least unpopular that you're advancing that I don't think it's a so radical unpopular, well, but go I, uh, go ahead I and mean, I've been writing a
0: little bit about this. And this is this is this isn't an attempt at a segue. But um and and I recommend people read Eric Hole, uh H-E-O-L. He has a substack and and he has some really smart things to say about the plagiarism case, which I agree with 100 percent My I did a very my very minor claim, which I think shouldn't be controversial, is that self-plagiarism isn't plagiarism. Self-plagiarism can be wrong for other reasons. If you, so we should say
1: your- context. Yeah. Uh, what's an Ackman? Bill Ackman, who oh, is largely yeah. responsible, I guess, for the Harvard professor uh, resigning. I mean, Harvard president resigning. Has a wife who uh, was, I guess, Business Insider wrote a piece calling her a plagiarist after you know he helped unseat the Harvard president in part because she was a plagiarist. Yeah. And. One of her sins, but not the only, was self plagiarism. She yeah. also was apparently taking chunks of Wikipedia yeah. articles and acting as if she wrote them. But go yeah. ahead. And now
0: Ackman is put into the unusual position. First thing, it was, I can say this on your podcast, deeply shitty for Business Insider to go after the wife of somebody.
1: I don't know. I don't no. know. But, but go ahead. I'll contest that later. Okay, she's, not just, she's not like at home darning socks. The woman was a professor at MIT, although not at this moment, who, like, gives TED Talks and shit. She's a public figure, okay? She's, like, she she's at least really trying to be. If you've given a TED Talk, you're trying to be a public figure, okay? So I would just like to establish that much. I still think she
0: was targeted just because she was Of course she was.
1: She was. Life is hard. <laughs> it's,
0: it's it's one <laughs> of the rules in The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Maybe Goodfellas as well. Maybe act, presumably, the real mafia. Yeah. You don't go and, after and, family members.
1: And, and the Harvard president's uh, plagiarism was uncovered because she was willing to let uh, students say from the river to the sea. That seems weird, too. Life is not entirely fair. But go ahead.
0: Okay. Um, so he gets upset. That makes plagiarism accusations against, against uh, uh, the Harvard president. This is that was after his wife. He gets furious, says, says multiple things that are not entirely consistent. One mm-hmm. is, taking from Wikipedia, maybe that's not really plagiarism. I look very closely at the codes. They don't mention Wikipedia. And, you know, this is minor and so on. Everybody plagiarizes, which somehow undercuts his attack on gay. But everybody... And then the next stage is he is planning, and I'm this is still in the works, to analyze the output of everybody at MIT and later on all Ivy league universities to unmask all of their plagiarism. excellent, bring it on. they will all be fired.
1: Good. I just practically have to get
0: my name off the Yale website.
1: It's you really should because I, 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 I yeah, I have suspicions about your research technique.
0: Well, I have
1: suspicions too. I mean, because I've written a lot i i
0: I recently I checked with plagiarism checkers when I read a book. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it, so I don't do something by accident. Okay. Can I say I've never accidentally lifted a sentence or or, or, or some good lines? I don't know. People make
1: mistakes. Is it that you don't know or that you don't want to say? Is there something you'd like to get off your chest? No, I honestly, I I honestly, I know
0: I have never in my life intentionally intentionally, intentionally plagiarized. I also know that that for a long time I've taken great pains not to, to avoid inadvertent plagiarism. Mm-hmm. So I don't have research assistants. I'm like some of my friends do my work. Everything's me. Um, do I know i have never plagiarized? in a very strict definition? I don't. It's possible I, you know it's possible I'm, I'm looking at a paper, I'm writing out the results, and some of those words just kind of pop up on my page. Mm-hmm. And my own view is this happens all the time, and it's for the most part harmless. And if there's a bit too much of it, you owe somebody an apology, and you say you don't do it again. You try to be more careful. Um, I think there's serious plagiarism where people intentionally steal other people's
1: ideas. Actually, yeah. idea theft happens all the time. It's not illegal. I mean, plagiarism is. I mean, plagiarism isn't illegal, but but it, it's a it's a it's like a formally defined. Yeah, norm violation and and uh, prohibited by certain institutions. Idea theft happens all the time. I got stories for you, man. We all do. We all do. I've been, I've been victim. Have I told you about how often I've been victimized in so many ways? I've also been, um, have you ever been a victim of plagiarism? You ever been plagiarized? Yes. When, who was yes. it?
0: I, once, once I've noticed and I just went, eh. And another time, this is an odd form of plagiarism. Tell me if this is plagiarism. Mm-hmm. I have online courses um, where I, I give I, I give lectures. I, my Yale courses. I have PowerPoints yeah. and so on like that. Somebody said, and in some country, some place, some professor. I'll say who it is. Said, my professor is standing up and giving lectures that are your lectures. They the are. whole lecture? Word for word, verbatim from what you said.
1: Oh, come on. With your
0: slides and you should,
1: you should, You should blow the whistle.
0: I think I blew the whistle-ish. I think I sent somebody an email. <laughs> That's blowing another, the whistle. Another person, another person told me, this is not smart, that there's a professor who gives TED Talks. He, just, he stands up and gives these amazing TED Talks that were not his, his own. He has the transcripts in front of him. He uses the slides.
1: Well, I hope he doesn't give one given by Bill Ackman's wife because that could turn out to have plagiarism in it and somebody could go, wait, I thought I heard that in Wikipedia and he gets nailed. But point being,
0: there's a lot of plagiarism around. I think most good people try to avoid it. I think when it does happen, it's inadvertent. I think it's wrong and they should be corrected. You don't want to take credit for other people's work. But it's not the horrible scourge that some people have. And the real problems of stealing of ideas—it seems far more serious. But it's not the sort of thing you're going to get from an AI algorithm.
1: And also, no, and it's not re- something you can very easily police, right? Except in yeah, there are cases in in especially the hard sciences, I guess, where there could even be documentation. How many times
0: in your career has somebody come up to you and said, you know? Well, you say, you know, we have a non-zero relationship, you know, your theory of the evolution of God goes, like this. you know, haven't you read my book? You must have read my book 30 years before, and it says exactly the same. thing.
1: With non-zero, that happened. There was some guy who wrote a book about synergy. It was called Synergy or something. And, you know, synergy is a non-zero, it's a positive sum version of a, of a non-zero sum relationship. Yeah, he was right. But no, I had never heard of his book. I mean, I didn't. Yeah. And but I, he was I, upset. He was super upset. Yeah, yeah. I got uh, something. I don't want to talk about that much, but, but,
0: but a noted scientist um, claimed we stole one of his uh, ideas in a paper that we did very well, and made formal complaints. Mm. But one of the reasons why it didn't get any further is that the idea was in an unpublished manuscript that none of us has ever read. But well, we could we could have got the gist of it somehow. Yeah, and you know the thing is, I think he was wrong, but. I don't know where my ideas come from. I go to a lot of conferences. If you tell me something really cool over a bar mm-hmm. a year ago, and then I'm mulling it over with my graduate students, I say, hey, you know, what if we did it like this?
1: yeah,
0: I, How sure am I? I mean, it, it's not impossible. As you no, right? that's yeah.
1: why idea theft is hard to police. It's an amorphous right. thing. And also, we all, you know, it's well-documented that, uh, you know, people... Think they deserve more credit than they deserve. They're, they're, uh, you know. There's a jo- Darwin makes a joke in a letter where he says uh, somebody's appearance was so altered. Maybe it was his after the thing on the on the beagle, but uh, that even his uh, even people who had lent money to him wouldn't remember him. The point being, uh, you know, you keep closer track of people yeah. who are indebted to you than that yes. you do of your own debts. Yes, um right. and that And that's actually a human tendency. So I forgive all the people who have stolen my ideas. Um, yeah.
0: they, all that you need is for them to forgive you. Uh, for what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I've forgotten. <laughs> for that's what? the part I don't what, remember. What, what is, could
0: I have been talking about?
1: That's the part I don't remember is when I, of course, the, the ideas of theirs I stole. Um, so and 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 another I, thing I want to say is that
0: self-patronage no. is just bullshit. There's no such thing as self Uh
1: No, I agree with that. I mean, I I have traditionally not do it, done it, but I've been more and more inclined. I mean, John McPhee says, "Look, if I've written something once, if I've described something one way, it's because I thought it was the best possible way to describe yeah. it. Okay, I, I I'm I'm not going to create an inferior version of that. I mean, I don't know. I don't think he he you know cuts and pastes much from old yeah. work, but. He was just saying, as a matter of principle, uh, you know, you're, you're, uh, it, it's kind of ridiculous to change a few words so it doesn't look like you plagiarized yourself. Yeah,
0: yeah um, I totally agree.
1: Have you uh, paid much attention to the Dan Ariely case? The uh, which is a an allegation of data fabrication. but
0: Yeah, yeah, it's one of the most prominent cases. There's Dan's case, more more than one, and uh, Francesca Gino. Also, some serious. Those are to some
1: extent the same case. They collaborated on something. He and she collaborated.
0: There's cases of separate accusations of fraud, one by him, Mm. one by her, with the same paper, different experiments in the same paper.
1: My understanding is
0: all of this is under investigation. Yeah. One facet of it, which I found kind of ugly, is Francesca Gino sued Yale, which I believe is every bit her right. And she sued Yale by saying, That the procedures that ended up, may end up with her losing her job or losing tenure, have not been carried through properly. They were carried Mm -hmm. through in a biased way. I don't know the facts, but, you know, sure, sued sued Yale. But she also sued for a lot of money, Data Collada, which are the sort of unpaid scientists who investigate data fraud. Right. And Data Collada were very clear. So here's all our evidence. Here's what we think. This is all in good faith and so on. And it's not clear how the suit's going to go through. A lot of, the, a lot of the, the field stepped up and gave Data Cloud an enormous amount of money to support their legal costs. It's extremely expensive to get sued. And, um, but if she won, it would basically put any sort of whistleblowers, data police, data analyzers at a work. Yeah. Because if I'm going to criticize your study and then you say, you say to me, I'm suing you. Nobody wants to be sued. Right.
1: Yeah. So that that's one thing. That's now one that thing. Seems, people are looking at that very tightly. Seems like a bridge too far. You know, Dan Arielli, as he has noted, the irony is he's a lot of the work he's done is on dishonesty and yeah. how unconsciously dishonest people are. And so, of course, he denies that he did any of this. The 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 research in question was the finding that if you make people sign. At the top of a document rather than the bottom, they're less likely to lie in the course of filling it out yeah <clears throat> and it was consequential. the government like re-engineered documents the u s government um but anyway, you know, I had him on my podcast and I also met him once in Mexico at uh see you did see you did see you de los ideas. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> cool. All the cool all the
0: cool kids go i I, I I've had anyway. some fun there on my own.
1: I really liked him. Also, he was on my side. I mean, he wasn't literally on my side, but after I had this debate with the new atheist with uh, Sam Harris and uh, the late Chris Hitchens, there was a there was a, a point I made that he said he agreed with. And no, no better way to endear yourself to me than that. I really liked him. Um, and who knows jury, you know, I await, I I await uh final resolution of this issue. Um so uh so we're close and then, to the. Dan, Dan, by yeah. the way,
0: is is there's a lot of accusations against him, mm. and I think like a lot of people feel I'm, I'm agnostic, uh, and I I wish I could dismiss them as obviously frivolous and unfounded, but I can't. They're pretty serious.
1: On totally other on totally other papers, T- or totally on other
0: on, on other papers
1: too. And that's such a but, shame. I mean, we should also say uh, he had a he's had a tough life. He was very very badly burned. In very early adulthood, uh, and uh, I think still it causes him pain. When he did the podcast with me, he was sitting in a hammock, I think, because it minimized surface contact uh, between his skin and other things. I guess I would also add add two things.
0: One thing is that he is, uh, at least to me and people I know, extremely decent guy. Yeah. Funny, energetic, but also I know there's been some students who were floundering and he helped provide them money, provided them assistance and everything. And he has a clump of people who really adore him, who take him as a mm-hmm. hero. And so he's not an asshole. He's not he's not somebody sort of self-centeredly, you know, gaining mm-hmm. on, on. He's not a Dietrich Stoppel type. Um, and then the second thing is he has a TV show based on. Him. I forget what it's called. It's on NBC or something. A while ago, there was a show called "Lie to Me," based on, mm-hmm. on Ekman's work on emotion detection. And this, this is, is similar. This style. is Ek- like,
1: Ekman, not Ekman.
0: That's right. It's called, I think, "The Irrationalist." And, um, and well,
1: that's about, that's uh, based on Ariely, right? There's a professor yes, in it, that that's based on Ariely. Yes, yes. Yeah. The
0: guy, the guy has burns. The guy dressed a car. Um, he's very, he's very Ariely. esque and he comes in. And for those crimes, which a keen eye towards irrationality. And, 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 and help you solve the crimes. I see. He stepped in for that. I see.
1: So, Paul, as you know, uh, at some point we, uh, we bring down the paywall. I mean, not to put this too crassly, but uh, uh, after that, we're in overtime and paid subscribers to... Wait, you're we're doing this your your newsletter too, or do you wait some future date when we start doing that? I mean, paid subscribers to not zero newsletter it, can have access. And what about is there is there a mechanism for paid subscribers to well, the falsely modest small potatoes newsletter to do it? I, I was gonna ask you that once I move to paid,
0: could I get access to these full things? And have you moved to paid? Yeah.
1: Yeah, we can uh, do this. We can show okay. you how to do
0: it. That'd be looking forward to that. That'd be good.
1: So to listen to the rest of this. You should become a paid subscriber to a non-zero newsletter. Although you could, in principle, become a paid subscriber to the falsely modest uh small not, not but you, even, shouldn't do have... you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. You could, but you yeah. shouldn't. You should become a paid subscriber to my newsletter, right? Yeah, yeah. At this point, yes. Yeah. Um, Later, we'll so, discuss
0: revenue sharing and get the lawyers into it.
1: The rev share not. just magically happens <laughs> with just, this just, up. Okay. <laughs> you trust me. Um. Uh, what was I gonna say? But but actually, no. They can. They can become paid subscriber. I mean, we'll, we'll, it's easy. w'll we'll, have you ever done a podcast on the uh, Substack platform? I st- no. Okay. Do you want to, do you want this to be your first one? We can help. Okay, not help, but we'll do it. We we will we will do it. Okay. Okay. All right, we can help. Put it up. We'll introduce you. Okay. The uh, really Mysteries of Posting a Podcast. um, uh, And the way people will know if, if we've succeeded, like, is if they go to your site and they see this as a post, and, you know, then that means we've done it. If they don't see it, we haven't done it yet. And they can't get access that way, but okay. we'll do it. And and then the way it works is they can then set up a whole uh, special podcast feed to paid subscribers, to either mm-hmm. newsletter, um. And then they will get access to all the paid podcast content from, um, I mean, I should be clear, if you want the paid access to all of the Non-Zero podcasts, you have to become paid subscriber to Non-Zero. Uh, but you may become a prolific podcaster under the tutelage of people like me and the, uh, you know, very uh, suboptimal uh, coaching of Very Bad Wizards.
0: It's possible. Awesome. Mm-hmm. possible
1: um but right right now it's
0: all free it's all free every bit's free
1: oh oh wait is it, it, it wait wait let's be clear is your newspaper all free all free i have no paid here you're not going paid you haven't gone paid yet i'm going to go pay sometime in the future but right now not okay so we haven't done it won't be this no, podcast right. folks i'm yeah, glad we got right. that cleared up okay uh but 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 the next so we'll do this within a month and, yeah. and and you'll be set up by the end it'll be great yeah. um Anyway, so we're going to now go into overtime and talk, there's a bunch of stuff we we thought we might talk about, haven't talked about. Uh, like, oh God, you wrote this, you wrote a, you co-authored a paper in an actual, for an actual serious journal called In Praise of Empathic AI. You've already written a book called Against Empathy. So apparently you love empathy when machines do it, hate it when humans do it. Exactly. We'll have you try to, try to uh, wrestle yourself out of that uh, self-inflicted mess. Um, the um uh at any time you can ask me about the JFK assassination. I'll be happy to help. Right. I've gone down that route. Yeah. I've gone down that road. I, I, I noticed that, yeah. Um the uh oh we may I, I do want to get into the Substack thing at least a little more. My my actual position on the issue. I'm not leaving the Substack platform. You're not yeah. leaving it. Yeah. But I want I want to explore that a little more. I mean, I want to quickly sit well there was something a little weird about Casey Newton's like rationale for leaving. And I want to get into that. I I, I like his newsletter a lot, I mean, he's great. He's smart, Mm -hmm. writes about social media, but I I heard him talk about this on uh, this podcast and it seemed, it's, I don't get it. It seemed kind of weird, but uh, I'll talk about that, you know, over time. Um, uh, Mentioned rationalists, yeah, if we have time. I keep promising to critique the Nick Bostrom um, simulation uh, kind of argument. No, no, you I'll, did,
0: you did.
1: Yeah, but I, I'm still, I, I I, slightly mischaracterized it. I want to talk a little about that, although I still think it's vulnerable to something or other. Um, And- uh, Also, I have some career advice I need from you. Oh, I, I was hoping you had some for me. Uh, I'd be happy to help if you reciprocate. I think what you know. Is, what I what I, a what thing
0: mean to say. Is, is that is that where the non-zero spirit comes from? If you reciprocate,
1: I'm very transactional.
0: Yeah, but, but it's supposed. To, it's fine to be that. You're just not supposed to be so blunt about it.
1: That's the whole yeah. thing about human nature. A friend asks
0: you, "Can you do me a favor?" He's say, like, "Yes," and you will do me one in the future later.
1: Isn't that what friendship is? Contracts, contractual You're not relationship. See that? Oh. Well, that explains why, I, I guess, why I don't have any friends. Oh. Well, now you tell me. Where were you when I needed you? I could I could have a lot of friends by now if I'd known this. Okay, so, um, and wait, is there anything? There, there may be, uh, I I do think, you know, related to this is we should share, like, productivity tips and things, like career-related things. Like, that yeah. maybe is our niche. You know, how do we become as as famous and successful as you? That could be the thing. We, I asked you, how I can asked, everyone asked, become small potatoes? That's kind of the thing. I asked you two podcasts ago
0: to describe your sort of writing routine. Mm-hmm. And you almost comically refused to do it.
1: I, I'm opening up to that. You
0: would say things like, Yeah, you know, I I, I do write. And then I say, Well, tell me more. And you would say, I answered your question. What more is there to say? There is more the
1: to say. There is more to say, but it's in overtime. So this week at least, the only way to hear it is we can paid subscriber to non 0 newsletter. Plus, it's it's a worthy cause compared to some causes, right? My newest sub
0: stack, we could talk about this, is gonna be is it's coming up next week, is gonna be three productivity tips.
1: Right. Okay. I, I like giving
0: advice. I don't want to get audience captured and giving advice all the time. I also write like thing about the experience machine or AI, or right? Showing and sharing
1: and everything. But I like I like. Giving advice. Good. And yet you're gonna seek my advice in overtime. But yes. that's fine. That's fine. The uh, I I finally I'd say in encouraging people who become paid subscribers to newsletters, I'm not one of the Nazis on Substack. And actually Substack kicked <laughs> a lot of the Nazis Substack kicked a lot of the Nazis off, by the way. That's the weird thing about what Casey Newton did. But we'll but yeah. we'll uh, we'll get into that. Um
0: so, okay. not even Nazi
1: adjacent. No, no. Some of my best friends aren't Nazis. I want to be clear about that. Um, so, uh, okay, and, and, and that's that's the worry about these censorship
0: drives, which they go after the people everybody hates,
1: mm-hmm. but then they
0: take a look at you, and maybe some people don't like the views you have about Ukraine. But
1: this is this is but an established fact, by the way. This is the worry. Yeah, yeah. I should not be. People should not lump me in with Nazis, right? They should not,
0: but they, but they, but they may do. And, and and then you have to ask the question, how much do you trust the people making these decisions?
1: Right. We will answer all these questions in overtime. Uh, to listen, just g- Google non-zero and sub-stackers and become a paid subscriber uh, and, uh, or whatever. And we will see you in overtime. Okay. Uh, oh, wait. First, thank you to everybody, even if you're not going in overtime. Now you. you're going in overtime.